0: So, hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is...
1: Ian Joseph.
0: As always, you can find us on social media.
1: So, on Facebook, if you type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our page. And on Twitter, it's at Folk on Falcons.
0: Lovely. So, firstly, apologies there hasn't been an episode for a couple of weeks. Um, started off with this waiting for the dust to settle. The dust from the, I don't know what you call it, the storm, the explosion, whatever you want to call what happened over the last couple of weeks in Kingston Park. And then also... Uh, We've been very busy boys with work, so um, we do have lives outside this podcast. So, uh, apologies for missing an episode, but um, got lots to catch up on. So, I think if we go along in chronological order, um, the first thing to not talk about is Exeter. It was ages away, old regime, didn't play terribly well, had chances to get in the game, came away with nothing. Less said, the better.
1: Yeah, pretty much that. <laughs> I was going say exactly the same thing. Had our chances, didn't take them. Tale of two teams, basically one that does take their chances and one that didn't. Um, it was out to be one, extra no great shakes at the moment and we had chances. You know, they were down to 14 men for periods and we didn't take down chances. We went down to 14 men, they took their chances. Um, we were counting their half, didn't get anything. They went down the
0: other end and out of nothing got points and that was that really. Exactly. Enough said. Yeah, um... Next, on the, can't remember what it was now, Monday, Tuesday morning, we hear that War Trev's off to Northampton. Can you blame him? No, we don't know the circumstance of what happened. He was in contract and exited it early. Uh, he had, I think, about 14 or 15 months left in his contract. It was, I think due to expire at the end of the following season. So another one of these rugby transfers, a la George McGuigan. Before we'd really digested the news of that, Ian and I started getting a couple of... Notes on social media saying, Ooh, Walder's gone. And we looked, looked at some official source, and there's an absolutely no doubt. Uh, we asked a few questions of various informants that we have in the game, and some of them didn't know anything about it. Got a little bit fed back. Yes, he's gone. All sorts of different rumors, but it seems to be along the lines of obviously all, all speculation, but it seems to be along, along the lines of HR weren't involved, and he was out after a short discussion. Um, and then we waited for some official confirmation, and we were, we'd been told pretty reliably that it had happened. And then um, there's reports coming out about it, and nothing happened for a couple of days. A couple of days later, there's a kind of a statement from the club, thanking Walter for his time and confirming he, he hadn't actually departed, but he was seeing out the rest of his, I guess he called it gardening leave until the end of the season. And, I, I don't know. I don't want to get in any trouble with anybody, but um, let's just put it this way. It seems like he's not really playing any part in the club anymore, and he might just be gone and leave. Let's put it like that. Um, and there wasn't really an announcement of a follow-up, and a couple of days later, we had a match against the Ayrshire Bulls, which only a few Hardy supporters went to, but um, Laycock took charge, uh, a largely academy-slash-periphery squad. Good fun performance, but obviously very different opposition. And then we move into the the week just gone um, and move into Gloucester. But if we if we just roll back the clock a bit, um, Davidson's departure. We, at the same time, we actually got someone coming the other way, Heffernan, Irish international. But I wouldn't say it's quite a like-for-like, like, would you? No, it's not a like-for-like. Like. Um, I mean, obviously,
1: I don't know in terms of how the deal worked. I don't know if it was on condition that we agreed to the deal. That we would get a replacement until the end of the season as part of the terms of that deal. I suspect that's probably what happened because they may be worried about lower numbers in the front row, which is fair enough. But we'll, you know, we'll see what happens with him in terms of well, how much game time he'll get for a start for the remainder of the season, and whether he stays on after the end of the season. Suspect maybe not, but obviously, I think even if he does stay, we do need another replacement. Um, I mean, we I think we're starting to run going to run short with props on me. I mean, I question obviously um, whether Willie Polar will stay much longer or if he does stay much longer, how much games he's going to get now. So I think it's a position we need to strengthen. And look, I mean, with the Davidson transfer, nobody wants to see it. I mean, even if they did get a reasonable fee, which you imagine they must have got a decent fee for him still, it's it's hard one to take. I mean, on a personal level, you can see why he did it. I don't think anyone can have any complaints to why. He'd want to go to Northampton probably. Better prospects and more money. I mean, you can't blame a fresh player for that. Um, from a club point of view, maybe they didn't get a big fee for him, but it's still it's not it's not one you like to see. And I think as supporters, it's not it's not it's not nice. But from a player point of view, I think you can understand where why it happened and why he wanted the move.
0: Yeah, and um, we don't know what happened. We don't know the internet's and the deal. But. Is it a coincidence that within a couple of hours of that being... Uh, I'm not even sure it had been officially announced by the point we found out or got told that Walder had moved on. But um, it was certainly a morning couple of days. We don't know quite what went on behind the scenes, but period of turmoil till Walder leaves. And from what we understand, wasn't necessarily Walder's decision. Um, read into that what you will. But can you blame Walder for walking or if he was sacks maybe he said something he didn't know a bust up. Who knows? We're all speculating here.
1: I mean, exactly. As you say, it's all speculation. But from the outside looking in, you know, I think we can speculate to a degree. Yes. I mean, we kind of heard whispers and very strong whispers that it happened a couple of days, two or three days before it was announced. Um, so we were fairly confident it was going to happen and then we were simply just waiting for the official announcement. But, um, yeah, I mean... You, from from Wallace's point of view, if this is the way it was, then you know, does it undermine you as a coach if you are genuinely trying to improve the team? If your best players are sold under you, even, even if the financial reasons—reasons, sorry—are sound and logic, you know, how can you? You know, it's 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 a spiral of you know it's a spiral downward spiral, isn't it? You know, you, can, you keep selling your best players how you're supposed to improve because then you, even if you invest the money, there's no guarantee the players you are going to be as good or better than the ones you sell. So that's understandable. Um, Could it be a decision from the club in terms of, let's face it, results and performances have not been that great on a whole this season? And maybe there has been disagreements with regards to that behind the scenes. And they felt that maybe things were piling up and perhaps some of these transfers were a result of that or systematic of that um, and you know, one thing led to another and it's all kind of piled up and the inside just kind of part ways. Um, like I say, we can only speculate, but from the outside, I think you, it's possible to sort of form, an, I think, at least an opinion as to what's happened, I think.
0: Yeah, I think also something that's um, worth considering, maybe not a fact or not, I don't know. The extra match, Walder was on sick leave because he'd had a leg operation uh, a few days before it. Um, strange timing for a professional coach to get their operation only a handful of games left in the season. You might think they'd arranged to get it maybe six, eight weeks later when everything's calmed down. Maybe it was a bit more of a drawn-out process than we know of. All sorts of ifs, buts, and maybes. But um, at the start of the year when we were chatting, we kind of said there's no relegation this year. He's kind of got a free shot. And it's be- I think over the course of the season, it's become pretty apparent that the free shot wasn't a free goal we've kind of missed. We were languishing pretty much where we are now and it hasn't been a season to remember there's been a few good moments but overall especially in the last few weeks it's been pretty bleak stuff at times and why wait till the end of a season to to do something that's inevitable if if it was done to to wallow it once again we're, we're guessing and speculating but if, if if you know you know and perhaps it was apparent to people in involved that he wasn't the man for the job, and in which case, why why hold on to the end of the season? What what benefit does that do?
1: I mean, I guess for evidence perhaps for all that is that he wasn't just sort of sacked there and then or contract terminated there and then. Um, or rather the case that it hasn't well rather it wasn't the case that Walder has said, right, I'm fed up with you, I'm I'm sick of this, I'm leaving, because he would have just left there and then the contract terminated, that would be that and be gone. Um he wouldn't just be, you know, they wouldn't just have a gardening leave to the end of the season unless they just think it's a better way to just kind of pay him until the end of the season and just leave it at that, um, if he if he wants to go. But perhaps there is further credence to the argument that they did just think, right, it's not working. Sorry, we're gonna let you go the end of the season, but you know, we will put you on gardening leave until then. So perhaps he was pushed rather than walked himself, if if you know, given the evidence that he is still technically there contracted there. Um but you're right in the you know, results and performance haven't been that great. Um, it's no better than it was last season, really, on the whole. Um, and it probably on the balance, it probably is right to look somewhere else, I think, in hindsight or kind of stepping back. And I know we talked about how we would give of a free shot this season. I think he deserved that. Um, hasn't quite had the full season. Um, but I think at the end of the season, would we if he let's say we won a couple more games, including against Gloucester, would our opinion have changed? I'm not so sure because, you know, it's still very likely going to finish either, well, it's on a certain bottom or second bottom, and is that good enough? Well, you know, I think we can possibly try and do better than that. We should try and do better than that. So maybe it is the right decision. After all, just to, as you say, kind of end it a few games early.
0: Yeah, and um, we'll kind of gloss over the Ayrshire Bulls game, but it is two out of two for uh, Laycock following what can only be described as a miraculous wonderful victory on Friday night against Gloucester. After a quarter of an hour or so when we were down by a try and we are down to 14 men you think oh dear this is going to be a, a long old evening and everybody knuckled down to the task in hand and what a what a way to start the new regime in the, the league. Brilliant stuff.
1: Yeah well I mean you have the sending off and of course they capitalise and get their try not long after and you think oh well this is a this is going to be a long night but um, you know <laughs> Uh, we do what we do best, which is being down to 14 men, funnily enough. Um, um, first half, we kind of held on, then we battled in there. And we we didn't let them, I think the important thing is obviously we didn't let them get the next points. We managed to claw ourselves back in the game to so maybe two points behind the half time. We battled well, but I still think the first half, you know, the kind of usual problems were there where the aimless kicking and, again, sort of, passing in hand didn't look that great didn't look that there was no cutting edge you know these kind of the usual complaints however I thought the second half in particular again kind of like the Saracens game the away game a few weeks ago when we were down 40 men. second half was absolutely brilliant I thought all things considered um, and it, a couple of really bizarre refereeing decisions as well, which actually, if, if they'd gone in our favour, which they should have, then could have been even more comfortable. But, you know, we know that Gloss are a very good side and for some reason they didn't turn up, but you can only play what's in front of you. And they, they contain some very, very good players, quite, I mean, you know, a couple of hairy moments, but generally quite well and fully deserved it after that second half performance.
0: Yeah, you mentioned a couple of referee decisions. Um Start with the, the biggie, which was um, the red card. Um, it's one of these ones where in the modern day and age. Yeah, you can't really argue with it in a red card. However, if anyone gets the time to see Benoit Bonner's tackle for Bath at the weekend, for which he only got a yellow card, try and put a cigarette paper in between those two tackles. Very difficult to work out how one got decided to be a yellow and the other decided to be a red. Um, if I was um, part from the disciplinary hearing, which allows to be happening, probably any day now, I'd say, well, I'm expecting exactly the same punishment as a Bonner. And if he doesn't get even upgraded to a red card by a sighting commissioner, then I think that we'd be incredibly lucky to get, unlucky to get a ban. Whereas what I can say, well, if a Bonner ends up getting upgraded to a red card and Parterman gets a ban, fair enough. But to say the two are completely different, one warrants 10 minutes off the pitch and the other warrants two, three games plus 70 odd minutes, then I think um, Parchman's a very unlucky man I mean uh, obviously
1: in sort of real time you, you know it's impossible to kind of even sometimes even notice these things but when it went up on the big screen after kind of one definitely two plays I thought it was very much a, it was a red but like, I had no doubt I know they took the time over it but I thought it, it was a red you could see the contact in this day and age know unfortunately like you go that's it but you're right in terms of not so much that decision itself as wrong decision but we you know we talk about so much the inconsistency isn't it perhaps you know inconsistency against us because we're only newcastle or whatever but it is the inconsistency where we from game to game you see these crucial decisions vary so much whether it's a club level or international level and quite obviously that that's wrong that shouldn't be the case and it does undermine Actually, what are correct decisions, and even if you've got to put your hands up and say, Well, that was a correct decision against us, fair enough, it's a fair cop, whatever, it's a fair ref. But then, when you like you talk about the Abana tackle against Bath, you know, why wasn't that a red? It's it is, isn't it? It's all about the consistency, but I don't think we can complain about that. But you know, it's all about the reaction, isn't it, from the other 14 players, and that that was a real positive, wasn't it? Um, you know, I just wish. We didn't have to make things so hard for ourselves, but uh, maybe we should go down, go down. fourteen men more often because we seem to do pretty well. Yeah, um, I will
0: just add that hands on the pump, isn't it? Yeah, I will just add that um, when TMO was very first introduced, it was not for this nature of incident. It was for if someone hit the corner flag or not as though diving into the corner. And rugby certainly isn't doing itself any favors with spending fifteen minutes to look at the TMO every single game, which seems to be what's the current trend at the minute. Um, Go on to a couple of other refereeing matters. The first one uh, in the match, really, that was of particular controversy, was Gloucester's first try, when, um, I can't remember who it was, tapping the ball for their quick penalty, but didn't make contact with the ball. The law there is, it's a scrum to the Falcons, and for some reason they were allowed to reset it, and then, lo and behold, within... A phase and a half. They'd scored a try pretty much under the posts, and I don't know why the referee sent us back to the line, as opposed to giving us a scrum. I just don't get it.
1: Well, when I was watching the recording back next day on the commentary, I think they tried to explain it where it was only a feint, you know, and you, you can kind of get away with that or whatever. But it was. But it's one, it's one of those things where, watch, when you're watching it live, especially if you're, you're watching the other end of the pitch, you kind of see that and you're not quite sure quite what happened, really. You just sort of go along with it, and so be it. But then you watch it on the, the TV, and it's, you actually you're bemused as to like what, what, why, why that was given as, um, well, sorry, why that was not given as a scrum to us. Uh, I mean, you think nine times out of ten, that surely what is if a, he's obviously in the scrum was just mucked up, hasn't he? He's obviously made a mistake. And how he's got away with it. I mean, it probably would have been better, you know, in an ideal world that they spent half as half less time on TMOs looking at Palfman's tackle and look bring back the TMO for that. Um, you could have had an assistant say, Oh, actually, can you look at that that um that incident then, you know, the scrum off and not touch the ball ever? Um, and then go back, have a quick look at that and see, because surely that's pretty clear-cut in a TMO, one way or another. Um, so it's not sort of just Sort of the use, it's well, it is about the use of a TMO in a match,
0: not just sort of TMO in general, it's, it's how you use it. Yeah, I think it was one of the Six Nations games, someone did that, and there's actually a scrum given against them. I can't remember which game it was, it might have been one of the latter Italy ones, but um, anyway, by the by, then the next one was uh, the referee ran a fantastic blocking line off the back of the um, the line out for Gloucester. Um, not something would have necessarily got him down in time, but um. You see it every now and again. Players get in a lot of trouble if they pile into a referee in rugby. And quite right, too, if it's deliberate. But if the pl- referee is just running in a in the way of your tackle, what can you actually do? Because what ends up happening is people just let the player kind of go because they can't go through the referee. But I've been in games where the referee's been in the way and they've blown the whistle and has been in the way and everyone kind of respects that and gets on with the next scrum. It seems to be in the premiership that never happens. That The referee's never blow the whistle and say, so apart from if the ball hits them, they never say, sorry, I, I obstructed the tackler. And I'm pretty sure that Gloucester may not have targeted it, but certain teams definitely look at where the referee stands and use them as a, a very good tool to run a blocking line. And then anyway, as the as the match went on, um, in the second half, there were a couple of extremely bizarre decisions. Um, one where everyone to to a man in the ground, thought it was going to be our penalty and he put his arm up being for for Gloucester. And then there was one a bit later on where I think uh, we got marched back 20 metres because we kept arguing our case. And Yeah, he shouldn't do it. But I think um, exasperation in the ground was palpable. Let's put it that way.
1: There was definitely a couple of highly suspect forward passes as well uh, throughout the game, which um, (laughs) put Gloucester in pretty scary positions. Um which I mean, you know, all right, yeah, the referee can work, depending where they're running from, always miss a forward pass, but you would think the, you know, the assistants would, would you know, that's what they're there for, isn't it? The spot simple things like that. Um but I mean the, the I think part of the point is despite not a brilliant refereeing performance by any stretch or assistant refereeing performance, um, you know, they restricted Gloss to to about only a couple of breaks in the second half really though. A couple of scary moments with Reece Hammett, and there was the one he knocked on. Chris Harris got away, and um, there was one where Carreras did an absolutely brilliant try-saving tackle about four minutes left or three minutes left, whatever it was. But that's it. That's what we restricted them to, and it was us at the other end who really were kind of hammering away and and kind of put the pressure on. Um, so it just goes to show, really. Yes,
0: yeah, so let's talk about the the good bits. We've whinged the referees, we normally do. We've said that um, certain things weren't great, but I think there were some excellent bits. Um... I think the first great bit of the game was um Imbo's um break and then vision an actual execution of a pass to Radwan. How many times would we like to see a pass to Radwan quite as nice as that one each season. And I think that must be probably one of the first times about three or four games he's got the ball in space and he finished how we know we we he finished how we know he can.
1: Yeah, well I mean you saw the amazing run but that sort of run naturally draws defenders in. That's exactly what he did. He did everything he needed to do. He kept the ball. He drew the defenders in, did a good job doing it with the basic run. And then, you know, the, the, it sounds silly, but the more you maze, you know, the more you do that sort of run, the more, the more time it does take away from the defense because they, they have to move slightly more, they've got to think slightly more. And for someone like Radwan, it does give them, you know, a few inches, a few milliseconds more to get that breakaway. And once he's away, obviously we know he's away. I mean, it was very, simple finish, you only had to sort of go in from a couple meters out. But yeah, that was brilliant. But it that, that just kind of showed that you know Gloucester were very much on top of that point. Where obviously we obviously were down to 14 men then. But then it did show that if we can get some pass some decent passing going, we can get a bit of space going for our fullback, for our wingers, you know, we are going to we can be very dangerous. And that that's what showed. And this is even more so that we were able to create the space with 14 men. It just goes to show that even with 14 men, the potency of our wingers just give them a little bit of space a little bit of time and they will cause damage um, and that's exactly what happened
0: yeah I think um, also that i say the next key moment in the game was um, obviously like we like to we start hoofing the ball um, and lo and behold Reece Samets on the end but we know what a danger man he can be after seeing him the last couple of seasons um, and he made another one of his fantastic breaks and Mickey Young kind of jumped on him and In doing so, dislodged the ball and looked pretty obvious it was forward to me, but I went to the TMO and then eventually ruled out the try. So very good bit of defence by Mickey Young there. And then um, I think the next thing that needs to get a bit of credit, actually, is um, we managed not to do a knock-on for absolutely ages, which meant that we didn't have to sub anybody off for a scrum. Obviously, as soon as that happened, we used to do a front row replacement. And when that replacement was done... um, I think it was a really good bit of um, management by Laycock actually to take Carl Ferns off. Um, he wasn't making the big carries that we like to see him make. He was matched pretty well in the back row. So you think, well, who else on the pitch would you take off? And we went for seven in the scrum with two in the back row. We kept a full contingent of backs and inspired move, you could say, because I don't think we gave away a scrum penalty for the entire game, maybe one or two later on, but, um, on the whole, our scrums held up. Yes, we, we needed to get the ball out pretty quickly on our own ball, but we weren't conceding penalties on the oppositions. And um, I think that was an excellent bit of um, management because it was a very easy option just to take a winger off and keep hating the scrum. But he went for it, rolled the dice, and he, I think he, well, not necessarily say he got a double six, but he certainly got a, a good roll of the dice when he, when he made that decision.
1: Yeah, I mean, the pack a man were, were brilliant. Um, but you're absolutely right in that Ferns was the best choice to take off. Because, I mean, not only just on the basis of the game itself, um, he wasn't making much of an impact. Like you said, they kind of, they are always quick on him. He never really made much, well, made many metres all the ball in hand. Um, and he, he's not, you know, he's never the most mobile. He never lasts a full game anyway. So if you are going to take someone off, look, if you're going to be out with 14 men, you're going to sacrifice a forward. You need your forward to be as mobile as possible. And taking him off has got to be one of the, obviously you can't take your front row off. So you look at who's really mobile. It's probably going to be him um, because he doesn't usually last the whole match anyway. So, you know, looking at it now, it is an obvious choice, but, um, but at the time, you know, he's quite inspired, uh, but he, you're absolutely right. You can't take the wingers off because if you take the wingers off. Where, where the try is going to, Where's our attacking front going to come from? And by having the wingers on, you still stretch the opposition team, don't you? Because if you take your wingers off, then you just narrow it down and you create further space out wide for the opposition wingers. So you kind of have to take... You, sorry, you kind of have to keep your wingers on, I mean, especially if you're chasing a game. And and especially the quality of our wingers because our wingers need... Our wingers are, are speedy wingers who can cover the ground anyway. So they're going to be more active probably defence out wide or in general anyway if they're going to have to come across so it was an inspired decision and I think in that sort of situation given the personnel as well maybe different if you have a different so if you've got like a big winger for example you may take them off you may make other changes but I think looking at our team obviously the personnel you had out there on the night then I think Ferns was the right one to go I think
0: he was as you say a very good decision yeah and then um, also we got a couple of injuries to um, Blamire and Orlando and um on we brought Stevenson and Fletcher and um, they both did extremely well. If anything, um, I think the centres might have actually been functioning better with Maroney and Stevenson on the pitch than with Orlando and Maroney. I know we've said it a few times that they're kind of a, a too similar a player to each other, Maroney and Orlando in a way. I'm not, I'm not sure any time of the season has necessarily clicked with the two of them. That Maybe against Bristol, but there's a lot of players in that match that had a good game. But I think when Stevenson came on at 13 with Maroney at um, 12, it um, worked extremely well. And um, I think part of that, um, Stevenson was defending better than I've seen him defend in quite a long time. And um, they just seemed to be working together. It, it was almost seemed natural. I
1: mean, what Stevenson also adds is a pace and something else which you don't necessarily immediately think in his locker, but his kicking was really good. I think there was one way it sort of went out the full or whatever, but beyond that... His kick was really good. I thought he was really good defense as well. Um, I mean, a brilliant game. I thought he really kind of threw the goal down, especially as, you know, I remember, I don't know, probably a year, couple of years ago where we were complaining about him at centre, saying how it just, just didn't work and he just wasn't the centre. But I mean, if looking at this performance the other night, then it looks like he's played there his whole career. Um, but yeah, you're right. He did really add something. Um, um, you know, Orlando Moroni, again, as you said, there didn't click, and you're right. And then it hasn't clicked much of the season. I don't know if it's just uh, ironic because obviously the Argentine international teammates, are they but how often do we actually see them playing together? Because one or the other usually injured all their way in international duty or whatever. Yeah, seems Stevenson certainly did not let anyone down that night.
0: Yeah, he also um, played very well under the high ball. There's a couple of takes he made, one especially when he kind of caught it, lost his foot in, gave it a half-backward roll and then popped up to Radwan and we very almost scored a try from it. Oh, another thing that I've just remembered while I'm talking about Radwan, um, he did his, basically scored a second try in the game when he chased back and put put the ball down behind our own line when, um, was it, I think it was Thorley, I believe, um, I think it was Thorley, maybe the other winger, um, he chipped it through and Radwan made up about five yards on him and dived under his arm and dotted it down. And I think that uh, Gloucester were almost shocked what had happened. They couldn't quite believe that this little man had scamped in and got ahead of them. Well, that kind of goes to my point about
1: why you keep the wingers on, certainly our wingers, when you've 14 men, because you have people like Radwine who can cover the ground, whether it is just coming across to make a tackle or having to dart back to put the ball down ahead of their their winger. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so you have Radwan at that point. Then, you know, of course, you have Carreras right in the match. we never try saving incident. Um, but, yeah, I thought Radwan, again, you know, we've talked about how quiet he has been at times. But, and ironically, again, with 14 men, like at says he also got his try there, didn't he, as well, 14 men. But, again, he looked like he had the space. And he, he, looked, he looked a real threat. And he looked like the player that we thought he was always going to be. Certainly coming into the season, and there has been more in, in previous seasons, just goes to show that if you're given time and space, what you can
0: do. Yeah, and then in the second half, um, Gloucester managed to keep all their men on the pitch after conceding a few penalties. But um, eventually we got an advantage and we did a crossfield kick that didn't quite come off. And then we did another one a couple of minutes later that certainly did And But Ian were just simple as that, steps his man, puts it down, and suddenly we're right back in the game. You do, you, well, I think at that point we were all wondering what Gloucester would come back with. And the answer was not much. Yeah, well, I mean, he absolutely deserved his try. I know it was just sort of simple, sort of little
1: step and walk in, but I mean, he was he was brilliant. He absolutely deserved that that try for himself. First one of the season was first was try try in general, um, including his time at Saracen. So that's brilliant to see. Um, I mean, side note, been a great signing. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I have mentioned before about Gloucester and you know their response, and they were really poor. I mean, that second half of Gloucester. I'd, anything apart from the couple of breaks that we mentioned they just didn't really threaten at all they just never got going um considering how how long they had a man advantage for it was criminal for their point of view i mean if you're a Gloucester supporter watching that you can see well we can see as former supporters why they've kind of fallen apart a bit in the last few weeks it's just there's this is nothing there the performances just haven't been good enough i know it wasn't necessarily a full strength Gloucester side, particularly the forwards but but even so I was surprised by how poor they were actually
0: Yeah it also helps that um, Reese Butterfinger Zamet was on the pitch um, there's a few that he spurned over the course of the 80 minutes um, and then right towards the end we're winning by I think five six points at that point in time um, we end up with the ball in about their 22 area and I was extremely surprised we didn't go for a drop goal because if you get that drop goal we're suddenly more than a converted try ahead with three or four minutes left on the clock it's basically as good as won the game and if you miss the drop goal then it's a 22 drop out to the opposition you get the ball back I was incredibly surprised that we didn't go for it Um, we didn't we ended up doing our classic Falcons giving it away before you know it we're right down the other end of the pitch after a break that that's the one that Carreras did fantastic to get back for but um, at that that moment I really think oh we've blown it here Here we go all the effort for naught. but Lo and behold, um, ripped the ball away. and I think the last scrum, Maroni actually went into it um, with an eight-man scrum, but that was the first one the whole match that I think we'd um, had eight in the scrum since uh, the red card.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that because it never actually occurred to me, oh, they should go for the drop goal there. And I don't know if it's one of these funny things where if you're actually there at the match, your kind of perspective is, well, your emotions or your finger at times different when you're sitting there watching at home. But you know, it never occurred to me that they could have gone for the drop goal. I think... We were just thinking, oh, you know, just please just kind of keep it simple, keep it in hand, and if we can generate a penalty or something, great. But uh, basically not give it away. Of course, they gave it away. But, yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, maybe it's just goes it to show how little we do drop goals. I couldn't remember last time we even attempted a drop goal. Um, maybe that's why it sort of didn't occur to me. But, yeah, it's an interesting one that you do bring that up.
0: Yeah, but overall, like we say, we, we got the turnover at the end, get the scrum. Got kept the ball, hoofed it out, and then it was great to see all the uh, academy lads and squad players and whatnot behind the goal in the, the south stand. And Conan and whoever else ran off the back of the pitch and started hugging their squad mates. Because I think it really resounded with everyone what a fantastic victory that was. Yeah, I mean,
1: look, I mean, Gloucester weren't great and whatnot, but, you know, let's put that on one side. I mean, absolutely, it, it was absolutely heroic. I mean, it echoes... The great win against Wasps last season went very similar sort of circumstances. Um, another like that Wasps game, a really, really memorable result and performance. Um, and, and, like it's, it's it wasn't even sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, we were desperately defending the whole game, it was heroic defense and whatnot. We were we matched them more than matched them for certainly at least a half and we you know we, we fully deserve to win it as the better team not just kind of like as I say desperately holding or just purely on the basis of the quality of play well we were the better team and, and that that's absolutely magnificent um, you know we, we say this almost after every win but it's about making this more consistent now um, you know let's try and actually win some more games with 15 men um, and you know and it's probably too late for you know have any impact this season but Let's hope that if they can have a strong end to the season, maybe win another couple of games or so. When the I've certainly went out, David Southampton at home, you know, then maybe a bit, bit optimistic going next season, kind of bring that on. But yeah, I mean, we 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 know that there's something
0: there. We all know there's something there. It's just doing you know, on a more consistent basis really, isn't it? Yeah, certainly is. So we've got a few weeks off now. Once again, a gap in the gap in the calendar. Next match, I think, is against. Harlequins the week after Easter, so um, three weeks to rest, recuperate, hopefully come out with as strong a 15 as possible, and you never know, um, Harlequins aren't at their best at the minute, might be able to come away with something from the stoop.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Harlequins, um, I suppose I have little to play for, I mean, it's funny when you look at where they are on the league, because you want know what a quality team they are with, it's almost like a star-studded team, really, but... You never know, you know, if we can hold Saracens, for example, we can nil Saracens away, then why can't we do the save Harlequins and maybe snap something from there? But, um, you know, we, I guess, it, you know, if, in a way, we, we've got more to play for them. You know, we don't want to finish bottom. I mean, what have they got to play for? they obviously going to, you know, you'd think finishing Champions Cup, but they're not going to finish in top four, so maybe there is a chance there.
0: Yeah, um, so as we look ahead to the remaining games of the season, I think we've got three left now, and... My math is if we win all those three, then there's actually a reasonable chance of us picking up the eighth position so we get the Heideken Cup. If we get 10 points, I'd say it's a bit 50-50. Nine points, probably not. Eight points, certainly not. So um, all hope is not lost. And I guess the games we've got left, we've got Harlequins, Northampton and Sale. Sale will be a very tricky one, but hopefully by the end of the season when we play them, They've guaranteed their position in second place, and there's, they're just trying to preserve themselves and not get injured um, for their semi-finals. So, with any luck, they might play a weakened squad that last match of the season. We might be able to get a, a bit of a walk in there, um, and then Northampton. Hopefully, War Trev has a shocker, knocks it on, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and gifts us the five points. I've never known you to be such an optimist, but uh, Hope brings a I suppose.
1: I think we, I mean, it's a good point actually about sale. You know, I mean, what sort of team would they put out there if they've already guaranteed second place? But uh, oof, I think getting more than one, uh, I think getting uh, even two wins out of those three games, I think would be quite something. But uh, I guess you never know. You never know.
0: Yeah. Um, sales games between, well, they've got Bristol, Gloucester, and us. So the form that teams are in, they could, they could easily be just out and out second by the time they come round to play. So that's, that's our fingers crossed for that one. Um, so we'll do a roundup of the premiership scores. And then also a lot of the regional leagues are coming to a head now. So we can uh, give those a bit of a, a detailed talk through. Um, so if we go through the, the premiership scores from the weekend, obviously on Friday night, we had our fantastic 17-12 victory over Gloucester. On Saturday, um, Leicester beat Bristol, 46-24. Saracens beat Harlequins, 36-24. And London Irish beat Northampton, 37-22. Um, also, game of note was in the Women's Six Nations. Obviously, England playing Scotland at Kingston Park. Um, fantastic result for England there, 58 points to seven. And then on Sunday in the Premiership, um, Bath beat Exeter, 36 points to 19 Obviously, Bath picking up a bonus point um, wasn't in the script for the weekend after our performance, so we've actually ended up going to bottom of the table following the weekend's rugby as opposed to climbing, as we all hoped we would. So um, if we just quickly rattle through the premiership. Um, Saracens were out ahead still with 67. Um, they can still mathematically be caught, but realistically they're not going to be. Um, Sale have 56. Leicester have 53. London Irish in fourth of 51. Then Northampton 48. Extra of 43. Last two Highland Cup spots currently filled by Bristol and Harlequins, both on 41. Gloucester have 40, Bath have 32, and we're just behind them with 31. All to play for the last few games. If we look around the regional leagues, a um, lot of these are coming to a head over the last couple of weeks whilst we've been away, and my computer's crashed, so I can't bloody load them up. So, National League One is. Not quite finished yet. Dalton Mountain Park have got a couple of games left in that league. There's going be 26 games. But um, at the weekend, they are uh, on the wrong end of a 10 points to 35 loss at home to Sale FC, obviously the amateur side from Sale Sharks. National League 2 North. table table's also not quite finished. But um, Blade Non sitting in a pretty spot. Um Need a miracle to get out of the drop zone. They're currently bottom, and Tyndale are currently mid-table. Results-wise, the weekend, Bladen actually got a good win at Chester. Oh, sorry, at home to Chester, and Tyndale got a win down in Harrogate. Regional 1 North. This one has come to a close. Um, A couple of weeks ago, we mentioned Anik got beaten by Heath, and that result in itself meant that Anik ended up fourth with Heath second. Had Anik managed to keep up a hold of the victory there, then they would have finished in second and got a promotion alongside Billingham, who finished top of that league. So hats off to Billingham and also a very valiant effort by Anik, um who still proving themselves to be a very good outfit in the leagues as they climbed through them. They were very close to getting promoted into National League 2 North. Um, up there were uh, Tyndale and Bladen, who obviously are likely to get relegated, but fantastic leaps and bounds there coming on. Um, then we get to the... Regional Leagues, so Regional 2 North, um, Penrith finished top of that one with 95 points, followed by Morpeth with 90, Northern with 85, Percy Park in 4th, Middlesbrough in 5th, Durham City in 6th, Espatria in 7th, Concert in 8th, Keswick in ninth, Stockton in 10th, and then we've got Westo in 11th and Carlisle at the foot of that table. Durham and Northumberland 1, also or. It's it's not finished yet. There's one game left between West Hartlepool and Darlington, but it is of no effect. Uh, West Hartlepool have reached triple figures in points, 100 points, potentially 105 after playing Darlington. We've then got Sunderland in second, Medicals third, Pontellum fourth, Gisborough fifth, Whitley Bay, Rockcliffe sixth, Hartlepool seventh, Acklam eighth, Hartlepool Rovers ninth, Novos tenth, Darlington 11th, and Horton and Peter Lee in twelfth. Durham Northumberland two. Wrighton, fantastic out in the lead with 106 points. That one's well, they've won that league with 106 points. Bishop Auckland in second, Gateshead third, Ashton fourth, Redcar fifth, Barnard Castle sixth, North Shield seventh, CM eighth, Sedgefield ninth, Whitby tenth, Winlayton eleventh, and Walsend at the foot of the table in twelfth. In Durham Northumberland Division three, um, Houghton with 75 points. Dartman Park leads to 65. Gosforth 64. Seton Carew, 52. Yarm, 39. Blythe, 26. Fuller Stocksfield, 25. And then Drovians and Sag Hill with 6 and 2 points, respectively. Although Sag Hill did have a 15 point deduction, must have felt an ineligible player or something there. So that concludes the tables. If we just have a quick look at the results, let's find the score of the week. That's to be a, a team that played at the weekend, just gone. Um to give it to the Falcons if I can't find any. Oh a couple of walkovers there. Um so score of the week this week goes to Percy Park, who beat Gosworth 69 points to 14 in regional two north. Right, so I'll speak to you again in a few weeks after the Harlequins game. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye everyone.